we're pregnant. Bro, do you even live? I can't eat another one. One is usually bigger than the other. It tastes awful. It won't hurt a Wait, bit. Why is it leaking? Did you Whoa, hear that? That's that smell. was not there Maybe yesterday. Maybe I'll have a second of it. It's totally my natural hair girl color. Is that supposed to look like that? Don't worry. That was solid. Deadly. I'm Terrell. And I'm Iris. Welcome to Health Science for the Rest of Us, a podcast where we take a super practical look at the body, its shenanigans, and the world of fascinating ways we try and keep it healthy. This definitely won't replace a trip to your doctor's office, but it may help you make heads or tails of how to live in your body better. More important than that, this podcast will help you look like a total badass at your next Facebook debate. You did it again. We can edit that later. Let's, Let's do, do this. this. Well, hey there. Are you sitting down? Because if you're not sitting down, actually, it's probably fine either way. Anyway, whether you're standing or sitting, we hope you're in the mood for something a little bit different. Because for this week's adventure, we took a break from our normal shenanigans in things like eyeball boogies and homemade pregnancy tests in order to share parts of a special lecture I gave at my institution's College of Pharmacy. So before you get ahead of yourself, we will go ahead and tell you that the lecture was not about pharmaceuticals. Instead, the lecture that I gave was part of a course that the pharmacy students take in order to better understand non-pharma treatments like massage and art therapy. Now, we know that the lack of drugs in this episode may come as a disappointment, but we hope you'll listen to it anyway, because we think it's pretty good, especially after we went to the trouble of cutting the lecture down to its most noteworthy parts and adding some primo Easter egg. More on that later. In a moment, we will cut away to the recording of Terrell's lecture, which covered the topic of music therapy, but before we play the recording, you may appreciate this quick heads up. The lecture we're featuring for this episode was recorded in a large, old, lecture hall, with a bit of echo, and a bunch of those wooden desk chair contraptions, that are bolted to the floor and make noise whenever the humans move their bodies even slightly. We removed much of this from the recording, but you may still notice it at times. You may also notice that at times, Terrell's comments in the lecture involve more medical jargon than usual, or seem to make mention of information on PowerPoint slides that you can't actually see. Because this is a podcast. Do not worry about this. For the most part, you will not need to know the exact meanings for every scrap of information in the recording, but as we play the audio, during the moments where it might be particularly helpful, I will cut in with my two cents, to make sure that the points you'll hear Terrell trying to make are perfectly clear. Thanks. You're welcome. Initiate. Music therapy. What is it? It's an excellent question. I'm glad we asked. The short answer is that music therapy is when 
a music therapist, uses music in a strategic way to help people achieve different kinds of goals that they may have. When we talk about applying music in a strategic way, that essentially involves uh, understanding what is known about what happens in the human body when it is engaged in music perception and music production. So you can think of it in the sense that the body that engages in music is changed by engaging in music. And for this reason, we can apply music in a strategic way to try and tweak the music experiences with the hopes of trying to drive what the body is doing in a way that's more useful and that has more promise than other kinds of music experiences. And the first step that we do when we music therapists meet a patient or get referred a client to work with is to figure out what the person's needs seem to be, figure out how we can best try and meet those needs through the music therapy interventions that we have available. The next thing we do is very clearly establish what goals we should try and meet. Usually the person plays an active role in constructing the goals or deciding what the goal should be. They get to participate and feel empowered. Next thing we do, and this is where the strategic part really starts to come into play, is that we figure out functional exercises that can help that person to learn or to train themselves towards meeting whatever those goals are. And then we translate those exercises into music-based versions of those exercises so that we're using all the parts of the brain that they would need in order to meet those goals or to develop skills or to overcome challenges in other non-musical contexts. One very important step that we also take is that we are frequently keeping tabs and tracking how well the person is moving towards the goals. So we don't just show up and have happy music time and just assume that there is something implicitly therapeutic about the experience that we're facilitating. We are using formalized benchmarking and assessment tools, which I can tell you more about later if you're into that sort of thing. The last part of this process that gives it its strategic flavor is the fact that we expect and we encourage patients and uh, clients to expect that the gains that they make in their music therapy will carry over to the other parts of their lives. So if, for example, I am using music therapy to help someone to regain oral motor function after they've had a brain tumor resection and they're trying to learn to speak again. If the song that we're using is Happy Birthday, I do not care that much if they have perfect pitch and inflection as they sing Happy Birthday. I care that it helps them to function more uh, uh, preferably or favorably when they have to go up to the librarian at the library and ask for a particular book and they need to be able to use those functional skills in order to communicate. So I said a lot of stuff. Some of the other aspects of music therapy practice that make it strategic uh, involve the fact that everything that we do in terms of clinical goals will fall into one of these three domains. So uh, the purple circle here has to do with movement patterns. That includes things that you might use for walking, for sitting, for balance, for physical strength, these kinds of things. There are lots of interventions we can do with uh, rhythm, with time, space, and force cues in the music 
try and help the person entrain to what they're hearing, to help their brain to organize the movements that they need to do more efficiently. In the bottom circle, you see speech and language. That was a little bit self-explanatory, but as we discussed a moment ago, there are things that we can do with voice work and with breathing exercises and with singing exercises to help people if they need to recover speech or language functions. And then my favorite is the green circle, which involves thoughts and feelings. And so when we talk about thoughts, we're not just talking about what people think, we are talking about how they problem solve, how they adjust to unexpected situations and unexpected changes, how they are able to engage in focused attention or sustained attention or divided attention. You all are using all those things right now, especially if you're texting while I'm speaking. We're also talking about uh, things like critical thoughts, uh, solution testing, error monitoring, task effort, these sorts of things. And then under feelings, we're talking about things like how you manage anxiety or stress or even things like depression or how you function in social situations. So what we're going to do now is take a uh, break from me talking. I'm going to actually show you a video and we'll just watch it and talk a little bit after. During this part of the lecture, Terrell showed the class a two-and-a-half-minute video clip where a music therapist used rhythm and handbells to help one of the other humans learn to walk again after he was hit by a car and suffered a spinal cord injury. If you'd like to see the video that she played, you can click on the link in this episode's show notes, or you can visit our website, healthscienceforeveryone.com, just click on the tab that says, More, and then click, Internet Gold. After you do that, you'll be able to scroll down to see the video. The before and after footage, of the man's progress, is worth the couple of minutes you will spend watching the clip, but if you decide not to watch it after all, you can still follow along with the rest of this episode by knowing that the music therapist in the video, placed the handbells on the floor based on the man's natural walking stride, and then helped him to play those handbells, with his feet, as he tried to move one foot in front of the other in time with the music therapist's guitar rhythms. Over the course of several sessions, this helped the man to improve his walking skills. As we watched that film, is that the music wasn't just passively playing in the background. We saw that the rhythm was being used very purposefully, the bells on the floor were being used very purposefully, even the pitches in the sequence of the bells was being used very purposefully so that it synced up with what the music therapist was doing with the guitar. And so uh, one take home that you might take home from the video is that with this music therapy stuff in terms of how we're using the music and the different elements of the music that we can manipulate for these interventions, you're usually going to see some kind of use of singing or some kind of use of moving or playing or writing or creating or listening or otherwise experiencing the music. So, door prizes for the person who can tell me which of these we saw being used in the video. most pronounced thing that we saw was the flame. It sounded like Terrell said the word flame, but she actually said the word playing, as in, the man from the video was playing handbells with his feet. Right? He needed to hit that bell on a specific beat at a specific time. He was singing as part of his enjoyment of the experience, and the listening was definitely necessary, but the goal and the musical tool that was being used to drive the ambulation. 
Ambulation is jargon for walking. Still playing. So if anyone's interested, the leading cause for music therapy referral over at our hospital is anxiety. Second leading cause is adjustment to illness or adjustment to hospitalization, particularly for folks who have to stay for two, three, six, eight, 16 weeks at a time. And on the outpatient side, the leading cause for music therapy referral is actually cancer-related cognitive impairment followed by cancer-related uh, peripheral neuro neuropathy. Cancer-related cognitive impairment, which is commonly called chemo, brain, is when the humans experience things like trouble with memory, trouble with concentration, or trouble with multitasking, before, during, or after cancer treatments. Cancer-related peripheral, neuropathy, is when the humans experience things like numbness, tingling, or sensitivity in the hands and feet, during, or after cancer treatments. Meantime, we'll talk a little bit about safety. Who here thinks that it's possible for music to cause harm? We've got a couple hands. Okay. Uh, yeah, generally speaking, and the research actually uh, is consistent with this, music and music interventions are considered to be harmless. They're considered to be low risk. Uh, so long as you apply common sense. So uh, the type of harm that a person might be at risk of experiencing from a music experience really doesn't go beyond what they can protect themselves from by simply applying common sense. So if the music's too loud, then you can turn the music down, right? If someone asks you to carry or move a music instrument in a way that hurts your body, then just don't do it. <laughs> if you're concerned that music instruments might be dirty or that the headphones might have way too much wax and there's an infection control, you can easily just clean the headphones. You know, most of the time, you're not going to have to be concerned about safety uh, so long as you're using common sense. However, there are scenarios where you would have to be more careful. Um, instances where a person may put small objects in their mouths. The other big group would involve folks that are not able to make their needs known. So if we think about folks who are vulnerable to sensory stem because they're in a minimally responsive state, or uh, we think about folks in NICU who are very sensitive to sensory stem. The term, minimally responsive state, is jargon to describe when one of the humans shows little or no awareness of themselves or their environment, and also shows little or no purposeful behavior, such as using their reflexes. On TV, this state may be described as a coma, but that is not strictly accurate. Due to their condition, humans who are in minimally responsive states may also be very sensitive to sights, sounds, and touch. This is what Terrell was talking about when she said that these particular humans may be sensitive to sensory stem. NICU is an abbreviation for the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, which is the place in a hospital where very, very ill babies, and babies who were born before their due date, can be taken in order to receive specialized intensive medical treatment. Due to their condition, babies receiving care in the NICU may also be very sensitive to sights, sounds, and touch. For folks who are living with dementia and are at the point where they can no longer make their needs known, they can't tell you that a particular song that you're playing brings up stressful memories from their past or traumatic memories from their past. 
or uh, maybe the person is on the autism spectrum and they can't tell you that a certain uh, metallic sound or something would uh, cause them to feel frightened. So those are the sorts of situations where you would want to be extra careful. The other thing that we warn against is that we don't have folks uh, postponing conventional treatments because they want to do music therapy instead. I don't think that that actually happens very much with music therapy, but this may come up in your careers later on too because from time to time, people who are interested in things like music therapy may also be interested in other things like homeopathy or uh, some of these other complementary or alternative therapies that they would elect to pursue instead of conventional treatments and then that delays treatments that might be more useful or more effective for them. So we want to use this as a tool. It's part of the bigger toolbox of what's possible and not have people doing this at their own peril while they're skipping out on other things that they need. Do you think the entry level degree for a music therapist is? Who votes, if you, if you think masters, raise your right hand. If you think bachelors, raise your left hand. If you think uh, associates, raise both hands. If you think doctoral. So um, this may surprise you based on how you voted. The national entry level degree for music therapy is bachelors. However, even though we have the same standards across the country, for the bachelor's requirement, for the 1,200 clinical training hours, and the certification, and the continuing education credits, you'll see what's happening state by state is that more and more places are moving towards requiring a master's. Uh, some states are actually requiring licensing. Ohio is in the process of re requiring licensing. Another cool thing about music therapy training is that we can specialize in certain uh, advanced advanced areas of practice, or we can also complete fellowship training. So some of the examples would be uh, you can do additional training in hospice and palliative care music therapy, you can do music-assisted childbirth, you can do music psychotherapy, there's a Noroff and Robbins music therapy, we, we mentioned the neurologic music therapy designation, so there are a lot of uh, subspecialties that music uh, therapists have understanding of music therapy or what the music therapist does can give you opportunities to learn different ways that you can use music more strategically in your own lives in order to help with challenges that you may be facing. So, that being said, now it's time for us to do something together. So what I'd like you to do is take a moment to stand up if you're comfortable with that, uh, roll your head around, you've been sitting and listening to me talk for almost and a half hour. wrapping up your stretch, uh, I'm going to come down to the front row and hand out some surprises, but don't play them yet. Because the first thing we're going to do is a warm-up. So, if you will, I'd like you to think about the sound of your own name. Just try and concentrate on the sound of your name. Try and relax any other thoughts away. Part of the challenge with managing things like stress or anxiety or panic attacks is that our mind wants to think all the thoughts all at once, solve all the problems all at once. And there's a kind of peace that we can get from just thinking about one thing at a time for once. So we'll start by just thinking about the sound of our name And now, 
I would like us to think about a time where we were the most comfortable we've ever been in our entire lives. It could be a time where you were very physically comfortable, maybe you were wrapped up in your blankets, or hot toddy. You can think of a time where you were very emotionally comfortable, you were feeling very confident, very at ease. Whatever it means to you, I want you to just think about a time when you were the most comfortable you ever remember being in your entire lives. And now I'm going to count one, two, three. We'll all take a nice breath. Those of you in the front row that have chimes will flip all the chimes together like a fishing rod or a whip. And as we listen to the sound as it floats through the room and gently fades away, I want us to see if we can try and just concentrate on the experience we chose to represent the most comfortable we've ever been. One, two, three. Chimes, that was your cue. <laughs>
And half the time, the thoughts that your mind wants to think about are not even constructive, right? You're thinking about what you should have said to that smart aleck who said that thing to you two hours ago, right? The other neat thing about an exercise like this is that your body cannot tell the difference between thinking about things that bring you joy and experiencing the thing that brings you joy. And so practicing something simple like this can help you to be able to create and cultivate feelings of joy no matter what is going on around you, no matter what events are happening around you. And so it's a neat tool to be able to have. When we finish up today, if anyone's interested in incorporating this into their daily routine, I can show you an app that has uh, chime sounds that resonate through the air similar to how these do. Uh, so I'll stick around for a few minutes. Okay, so at this point in the lecture, I walk the students through some more examples of music therapy exercises and then took some time to answer questions that they had. Most of the questions had to do with exercises that we had done together earlier in the lecture, but one student asked a very important question that I thought was worth repeating in case the same thought is running through your mind at this very instant as well. The student's question was about whether music therapy gets paid for by health insurance companies. And the short answer to that question is that most of the time, music therapy is not covered by insurance. But that doesn't always mean that people who want music therapy anyway have to pay for it out of pocket. In every place where I have ever worked, it's been the facility itself that has paid the tab for whatever music therapy program that was being offered. But there are also other situations where music therapy gets paid for through things like grants and donor funds and state-run educational programs. So if this is something that you'd like to learn more about, definitely consider visiting musictherapy.org to see what options may be available in your area. While you've got your internets pulled up, if you're interested in the Chime app that was mentioned during the lecture, it's actually called the iKai Clock app, and it's supported by a company called Alpha Doc Technologies. If you already have a smartphone, you should be able to find it wherever you go to download apps. When you're searching for the app by its name, be sure that you use the correct spelling, which is iQI-Clock. Before we wrap things up, we'd like to send a special thanks to the Neurologic Music Therapy Team at MedRhythms in Boston, Massachusetts. They were the folks who created the video I used in my lecture. It was super helpful and we were very happy to be able to share it with you. Along those lines, we'd like to send an even bigger thank you to their patient, Mark, who graciously allowed his music therapy sessions to be recorded and used for educational purposes. And that's it. You've now experienced the fun-sized version of a 70-minute lecture. 
And with any luck, you may have also done it without even getting out of your jammies. I certainly did. The last thing we'll say is that, thanks to all of the editing this week, we've ended up with a pretty satisfying Easter egg for you. Normally, we'd tag something like this to the very end of the episode, and you'd have to listen past the closing credits in order to hear it. But because this one is so big, we've decided to release it separately instead. That being said, if you'd like to try your hand in a more elaborate music therapy demonstration, be on the lookout for episode 43.6, Words with Farmer Friends, Easter Egg Edition. That's all for now. Stay tuned, everybody. Please tell the other humans to listen to the podcast so I don't have to go back to my day job. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Health Science for the rest of us. If you like what you heard, be a pal and spread the love by sharing this podcast with a friend. If you're not sure how or if your friend just needs some help, you can both get some quick tips from our fun YouTube tutorial. Just tap on the link in the show notes from this episode. To learn more about the show in general or to see some pretty hilarious health memes and videos, Stop by our website at healthscienceforeveryone.com. We're also on Facebook in the group section and on Twitter under the name Health Science Podcast. That's all one word. For a limited time, Health Science for the rest of us listeners can save 20% on all NZT products at my online store by entering the promo code DARK42 Tower Beam Sunshine Strain. No, no, no. I told you we're not doing that. My apologies www.irisspecialtystoreforthingshumansbyclairhealth.com Iris! Sorry. I'm hitting the button now. Is that how my voice sounds?